Father, thanks for a time to meet, a place to meet, and thank you for your presence. We ask that you would teach us tonight by your Holy Spirit. We yield ourselves to him and to what he has to say. We pray that we would be responsive, open, and ready to receive all that you want to do and all that you want to say here. I pray, God, that uh, you would anoint uh, our teaching time, uh, that we would, uh, on both ends of it, that the teaching would be anointed, but the receiving also. And I ask God that your truth would permeate into whatever it is that needs to permeate into and to us to get into the deep places, our hearts, our spirit, our our soul, uh, to really get down deep into who we are. I pray, God, for your word to, to affect us, to change us, and I ask God that you would speak tonight. And I pray that you would ready us even now uh, ready our our being to receive. God, thanks for your presence. Thanks, God, for your love. Let's pray, Father, that we'd be uh, just actively, actively participating in what you want to do tonight. Give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. It's going to open up tonight, if you have a Bible or your device, Judges 3-2. If you need a Bible, you can grab one off the table. We have them available for your use. Judges 3-2, as you're opening there, just a quick reminder to our podcast listeners that we have an interactive feature with our Bible study. It is uh, through a website at www.speakpipe.com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. And if you go to that web address, you will find a button that you can toggle and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail. And we'd love to hear from you. You could uh, leave us a message, say hi, uh, a question you may have, a comment, something that um, maybe is going on in your life that's good. Uh, we'd just love to hear from you and love to interact with you a little bit. We'll endeavor to play it at our meeting after we receive it. So uh, think about it, send us something, and take advantage of that feature. Judges 3-2. Someone like to read that out loud for the rest of us? And for yourself, I suppose. It was only in order that the generations of the people of Israel might know war, to teach war to those who had not known it before. All right. Thanks for reading that. Uh, This is uh, what this verse is. It talks about a little bit about God's purposes and God's plans. And it's a kind of weird little verse in Judges. It was one that... I remember a long time ago, I was still living in Fredonia, and as I was reading through the Bible, God highlighted it to me, Uh, because we were going through a time at at that point in the early ministry that we were doing there on the campus, uh, a time of spiritual warfare. We were praying, we were seeking God, we were fasting, we were uh, worshiping together, we were gathering more often than the prescribed meetings. Uh, We would see each other and pray with each other because it was a time when we were facing some opposition. It was a time when there were groups both on campus and off campus that were coming against what we were doing and what we believed was supposed to be happening at at that university. So uh, we spent the time to do it. And and I went through, and as I was reading, like I said, this verse was really highlighted to me because the verse speaks to... Uh, the idea of why God allows for and even leaves provision for opposition in our life. Why God allows for and leaves provision for enemies. Why God allows for and leaves provision for 
difficulties and challenges and things that come up our way. And so as I was reading it, I, I took that and I began to share it with people and it became something of a point of encouragement for us. It also became a point that we rallied around as a group and as a people. So uh, I wanted to share it with you tonight as we were moving through here. And the particular time that I was reading through the Bible, uh, it was highlighted to me again. So it's time to share about this again. It's time to look at it again. And so what the verse addresses specifically is the idea of the people that were left in Canaan. Because uh, as, uh, as Israelites moved into Canaan, into the Promised Land, there were certain groups that were left there. And I don't, if you read through, you can see what groups were there. The book of Joshua pretty much shows the, the conquering of the Promised Land, the moving in of the people of Israel, the division of the land between the tribes. And so you get an idea of all of those things that were taking place. And what is evident in all of that is that there were some groups, there were some enemies that were left in Canaan. There were some areas that were left where the enemies of God and the enemies of his people were still there. And so one of the reasons that were given, and it's a part of this verse, a part of this passage, is that God decided that these people would be allowed to stay. And the reason these people would be allowed to stay is so that the generations that were going to come after this generation, the people that were going to come in and, and be around after these generations had passed, this generation had passed, it was so that they could learn how to fight. And I know that sounds weird, but that was why he left them. And that's what this verse indicates. And so there's a value here in God's purposes for his people that his people would understand how to face opposition. There's a value here with God that his people would learn what it is to walk through and be victorious over challenges in their life. That's something that he considers to be important. And so I want to share that because I think sometimes we have this really weird idea about the God that we serve. And, and we receive that from wherever we receive that from. It could be from YouTube. It could be from popular teaching. It could be from something that somebody told us. It could be from a parent. It could be from a church that we used to go to. Whatever it would be, the radio, the television, however it is you received that, something you saw on the Internet. I want you to hear this, though, is that God has never, that I know of, in this lifetime, told his people for the past however many thousands and thousands of years has passed since the book of Judges was written. He's not told us that he wants us to just live without any opposition. He's not told us that, that it's his job to make sure that we live at ease all the time. He's not told us that it's part of his purposes for our life that everything's just easy. And he hasn't revealed that to his people. He hasn't, he hasn't really you know, given us that. I mean, there'll come a day when we, there's a new heaven and a new earth. There'll come a day when we'll be in his presence. There'll come a day when things will be different than they are right now. And, and it remains to be seen what that's actually going to look like. And I want to say that up front. Because I don't know what that's actually going to look like. But there'll come a day when everything will change. But as long as we're on this earth and as long as we're participating in the life that God has given us, part of His teaching over us, part of His purposes for our lives is that we learn how to fight. And whether or not that means we're going to fight, whatever it is that comes our way, opposition, hard times, it could be whatever you want to think of. But there's all kinds of things that happen in our lives that come against what we think or what we like. All kinds of things in our life, what we think should happen or what we want to have happen. Because 
Sometimes what we want to have happen or what we think should happen are just plain wrong and are not even in line with what God has for us. And so the first line of that is to begin to discern between my will and God's will. The first line of this is to really begin a process in our life where we don't assume everything we want is what God wants. Where we assume just because we think something should happen, that means God thinks something should happen because none of those things are true. And really take hold of that in our life to to, to really make that kind of a, a discernment in our life between our thoughts and our ways and, and our desires, our perceived needs or whatever those things are and what God is saying and what God has for us. Because those are two distinctly different things. But we serve a God who has a purpose and part of His purpose for us is to teach us. And you should take comfort in that. Because the idea behind that is is that the God that we serve expects us not to know everything. The God that we serve expects that we're not going to know how to do stuff. That we're not going to understand how things work. We're not going to understand how things happen and why they happen. It is part of His understanding of us as human beings that we need to, we must be, it is a necessity that we're taught things. Because we don't know. And it's okay not to know. It just is. And so to not be patient enough with ourselves to take the time to learn is doing God a disservice and doing ourselves a disservice. To assume that if we make a mistake because we don't know something, that God's angry with us is a mistake. Because it's not true. He knows you're going to make mistakes. He knows that we're going to mess up. He knows that we don't know everything. And part of His purpose for us is to teach us. To teach us. And so, God left some of the enemies, some of the Canaanites, that were part of that land so that His people could learn, so that His people could grow, so that His people could be challenged. And part of that challenge is, is to give them the experience in order to grow within that experience. The way God teaches us a lot of times is through our experience, is through the things that we face in our lives. And that's why He left them there, was so that they could begin to experience some of those things. So, so through experience, through opposition... And he wanted them to to learn how to get their hands dirty when it came to those kind of things. It was not his desire and has never been his desire that his people don't know how to get their hands dirty and put their hands to the task. I was just talking to somebody today and we were discussing some shift in our culture that happened. And I don't know when it was. And when I say our culture, it's just Western society. That there was a shift in our culture where it seemed like people dropped or or gave away this idea that we're supposed to know how to do stuff. And, and by that, I mean this, that that somehow... We just had no value anymore for understanding how things work. Or no value for knowing how to fix things. Or no va- no value for you know getting your hands dirty and actually doing something. Though that's somebody else's job. Who? Whose job is that? Is the next question. And it wasn't like a, like we weren't just you know bad mouthing everybody. It wasn't that kind of a session. We were just talking about almost lamenting that that somehow we lost that value as a culture. I mean, I guess it's still there somewhere, but just the vast majority. And understand me. I mean, I've got two children that that grew up within this time frame. They were in school. That grew up and. 
uh, the whole, both of their lives, I, I, would, I did everything that I could possibly do to encourage them to learn how to do things. And by that, I don't mean book work at school. I mean just practical things, stuff that they could learn how to do. I was really thankful because my daughter had a, a she was in the Girl Scouts. And in the Girl Scouts, they, they had a badge that you could earn on how to maintain your car. Yeah. And so because there was a badge <laughs> that you could get for maintaining your car, she decided that she would let me go through stuff with her in order to look and say, okay, well, this is where you check your oil. This is how the tire iron works. This is how you change a tire. This is, you know, and just going down a line of things. This is how you check the air in your tire. Just a line of things that are just a normal part of car maintenance. So I was super thankful for that. Because if that hadn't have been a badge for the Girl Scouts, I'm not sure I could have forced that. And I'm pretty sure I couldn't have. And so... I just took advantage of it and said, okay, this is how it works. But there's so many other things. There's so many other things. And I don't want to pick on anything, and I'm not, I'm not trying to pick on anybody. I just want you to understand that the natural evolution of who we are is toward that. It's toward slothfulness and toward luxury. That's our natural evolution if we have the means to do it, which we do. And because we have the means to do it, we remove our hand more and more from what is dirty and what is work, and we keep ourselves from the things that all of a sudden become agreed upon as somewhat distasteful. So God, not wanting that to happen to his people, he left some opposition. He left some opposition. In the form of the Canaanites. And so he gives them a reason why he's leaving his enemies right by them. I mean, they're their neighbors, right? I mean, if you look at the spread out of the tribes all through Israel, I mean... All of Israel is taken up by the tribes. And so within the boundaries even of some of the tribes and their land that was allotted to them, there were enemies living there. And if they weren't within the boundaries, they were just on the edge of the boundaries. And so he left these enemies really, really close to them. And there were reasons why that. But I want you to say, they're going to have to depend on God for His protection. They're going to have to depend on God to take care of them as aid. They're going to have to really look to God to help them. Because they are going to be challenged. Just in living their lives. I mean, God could have wiped out every enemy they had. God could have built a wall, placed a wall right around all of Israel that was 100 feet high that no one could have ever breached. Well, ever, but not within their time and their lifetime. He could have, but he didn't. Because he had purpose behind this. He had reason behind it. Because there was a value behind this that, that we need to understand. Part of God's value here for his people is that they would learn how to fight. They just learn how to fight. When you think about uh, how we have, we, there is never, never in our society, never a reason to fight in our society. They have removed every reason to fight. It's never justified. Never. And I'm talking physically. Never. What does that do, though? What does that do to people when you tell them that? Yeah, I can remember uh, there was a kid picking on Garrett on the bus. You know, and no one would see it because the bus driver couldn't watch everybody. And so the kid was hitting him in the back of the head or whatever he was doing. And 
And Garrett all just snapped one day on the way to school and just, just got him into the whatever he did, and, and there was a problem. Right? The bus driver saw Garrett, grabbed the kid, and they were rolling in the aisle or whatever they were doing. I don't even know. So we had a call from the principal. And so the principal calls us in, and, uh, and they're like, yeah, well, your, your child is evil. You know, your child is bad or something. You know, I, mean, I don't know what she said. And, and me and you were just sitting there. It's like, um, yeah, he's been talking about this kid just messing with him for days. Just for days. And I'm sure the bus driver didn't see that. And the kid just keeps hitting him in the back of the head and all this other stuff. It's like, I don't even need to talk to him. I'll tell you why this happened. Because it finally reached a boiling point because he's talked to everybody he can talk to and nobody cares. And he's not going to sit there and get hit in the back of the head all day. Well, here's what he did. And she told me what he did. I'm like, good. 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 And, 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 and I remember this was early on, and I had, I, we were called in probably two or three times in the six years, seven years he was at this school. And, it was like, and the, the message I left with that principal every single time is, my child will not be abused by somebody. He will defend himself, and he will come at that person with a greater effort than they are showing toward him. And this is the way it's going to be. Well, he's going to get in trouble. I don't care. Because we are not, we are not going to allow somebody to hurt him. And we will tell him so. How do you live? How do you live in a society that says there's never a justification to fight? How? How is that possible? Because what that teaches us and I know that sounds crazy, right? In a modern sense. But what's that teach us? It teaches us how to get beaten. Right? That's what it teaches us. And how to stay beaten. Exactly. And, and I don't mean to be rude about this or anything, but, and this is no disrespect to law enforcement, but you think the cops are going to protect you? Have you ever called the police? How long did it take them to get there? They didn't show up. Yeah. And, and they're overworked and they're understaffed and they have a priority system. It's how they respond. I understand all those things. And again, this is no disrespect. I'm just telling you. you they tell you, oh, the police, they're not going to protect you. If you call the cops and it takes them five minutes to get there, that's a long time. For a lot of damage. Long time. And so, so I just want to, just, I'm just saying this, I'm just saying this, because we're in the midst of this crap. This crap. And living in the midst of this has affected us, has affected you, has affected me, and you need to realize that. This is not who God has called us to be. I feel safer already. So Israel is a type of the church. You see that. In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel is a type of the church. It's a type of God's people. And so we learn from them who we are. And of course, their situation doesn't apply to ours directly. But we look at it as a spiritual type in the sense that there's some principles that we can learn from. I mean, I'm not suggesting we go out and we conquer, you know, Dell Street or something. I, I, that's not my, uh, that's not my suggestion at all. 
<laughs> but spiritually, I think that there's there's some principles that we can learn from this, and and that's what I really want to share with you. And part of the first thing that I want to say is to learn how to live aware. To learn how to live aware. And and to be just aware of what's going on around you. That's part of the message here in Judges that God has for His people. Part of the message that He's given to His people, one of the things He wants them to learn here is how to be aware. you got to be aware if you got enemies living right next to you. you got to be aware of that. You start seeing certain movement among your enemies on your border. Or they start crossing your border and they're taking over towns on the edge of your border. you got to be aware of that. If you're not aware of that, next thing you know they're going to be in your backyard. You follow me? So you need to be aware of what they're doing. You need to be aware of how they're acting. You need to be aware of what's going on around you. Living with your head buried is not going to help you. When you have enemies bearing down on you and they're going to take your cheese and they're going to hurt you. And so we need to be aware. We need eyes open. We need to have an awareness, a spiritual awareness about us. The church was never called to be idle. You know, Jesus told the church, He said, one of the things He said when He was given instruction as to what to do after He left, He's like, occupy until I come. And that word occupy is the root word for occupation. What's an occupation? Job. Work. Do your job. Do your job until I come. And so the idea is, is that one of the last things he tells us, one of the last things he tells his people is like, you need to keep doing your job until I come back. And so the church is given certain jobs to do. The church is given certain things that they've been empowered to, they've been given authority to do, and, and they've been given the gifts to do. Fact. And that's what, that's what Jesus did. And so he empowered us as a church before he left. And he's like, all right, keep doing this until I get back. All right, 2,000 years later, still empowering us, still gifting us. The call is still there. The instruction is still there. The commission is still there. We need to keep doing it until he comes back. That's his expectation. That's his command. That's what he told us. There's no being idle in that. There's nothing in there about, you know, taking it easy. It's that we have a job to do. Let's do it. We have a job to continue doing until he returns. Even in your own life, you think about it, it's like if you just lay down in your life, do you see anything spiritually good happens from that? Because I never have. And I'm not talking about taking a little bit of rest here or there. That's not what I'm talking about. We all need rest. We lay down every night for about a third of the day because our body requires it. It's how we were made. It's how God made us. That's one thing. But the other side of that is that spirit, being spiritually idle, where is that going to lead us? It leads us nowhere good. It never has. It never will. God calls us to grow. I mean, how are plants idle? How are any living things idle? I mean, the only way that happens is somehow artificially you put them into stasis. They're either going to grow and they're going to they're going to become, or they're going to shrivel up and die. That's how organic things work. Last that shit, we're fairly organic, and the way that we work, the way that our bodies work, the way who we are, how God made us to be, is that we need to be growing and we need to be becoming. And the truth, the same is true spiritually. If you decide, like, well, that's good enough, I'm as, I'm as uh, spiritual as I'm ever going to be, you're going to die. When you say, yeah, well, that's close enough to Jesus for me, you're going to die. And I know that sounds dramatic, but it is. It is that. And that kind of stagnation in our life, that kind of stagnation over us, will lead us to sure death in our spirit, in our soul, and eventually in our body. It's going to die. 
So what we're called to is to keep going. What we're called to is to find a place to grow, to never be truly and completely just, okay, well, that's enough. It's never enough. You're never close enough to Jesus. Sorry. You are never spiritual enough. You're never holy enough. You're never committed enough. There's always more. And I don't mean that, and, and, and there is nothing wrong with growing. There's nothing wrong with becoming, you know, and saying there's more. Nobody's judging that. Nobody, it's not a, a point of judgment. It's a point of growth for us. It's a point of life for us. It's a point of actual existence and being and abundant living for us. That's what it's a point of. To, to recognize that and step into it. You see, a value for God and His people is that we learn what it is to live in the world that He's created, but not to live of it. Because those are two different things. Billy Graham, he had a famous sermon that he preached over and over and over again about that. Being in the world, living in the world, but not living of it. And he made a huge distinction between those two things. But that's where we're called to be. The answer to, to, to Christians and, and the church was, well, we're just going to take everybody out of the world and we're going to keep them safe. You know, the, the world's a bad place. It's dark and it's mean and people are mean. And, and so we're just going to take everybody out of that and, and we're just going to keep them safe. How do we do that as a church? Well, how we do that as a church is we create uh, Christian everything. we got Christian everything. Christian what? Christian everything. You got Christian, give me some, schools, right? You got Christian schools? Why? Why? What's the big argument for Christian schools? Give them the God education. Why do they need the God education? Yeah, yeah, and out there in the world, right? The regular education out in the world, that's bad. Jesus, good. And them kids out there, they're all into the drugs and the rock music. we got to bring them into the Christian school, teach them worship music, because that's good. Okay, you follow me? Yeah, I mean, there's arguments to be made, but, I mean, so, so we build Christian schools, and we have our kids go to Christian schools. All right, so we took them right out. All right. Now, I used to work on college campuses. All right? And the one advice I'll give, if you have your kid in a Christian school, and they go through Christian school, and they get through Christian high school and everything, send them to a Christian college. Do not, and I repeat, do not send them to a secular school, a regular college, a state school, any of those. You need to pony up the dough for a private Christian college and send them there. Because they will head home after a semester or two and you won't know them anymore. Because I watched it happen over and over and over and over again, year in and year out, all the time. Just happened all the time. And, and that's just the nature of it is. So we build Christian colleges, we build Christian schools, we have Christian radio, because the other radio is bad. Christian radio is good, right? And, I'm not, and there's a place for Christian radio. I mean, there's a market, obviously. They make money, enough money on it to keep it going. So people want to hear it, and so there's a market for that. There is. So there it is. It has a place and it's a good spot. All right, good. But there's more. And you, you start looking through it. Think about back in history. I mean, you know, if you were really serious about God, what did you become back in the Middle Ages? Monk or a priest, right? And so what's the, what, what marked a monk? How do you know you're a monk? Where would you live? 
Monastery. What's the monastery? Away from everybody, right. What's the nunnery, the convent? Away from everybody. So you're a nun or you're a monk, and the ideal was is that you're not out there. You're not out there with them people. I've told this story before. When I was traveling, I would, I would go speak at churches, and I would share stories. And I had to be careful what stories I shared, because, because if I shared the wrong story, I'd get in trouble. And so there was this one story that I would share. Uh, this was way back, and it started a kinship group on Marshall Street over on campus. And that kinship group, we met at this place called Scotty's Coffee Cave. And Scotty's Coffee Cave, yeah, they had a back room that they let us use. We paid them $25 a week to meet there. And we could sing, we could play drums, we could play guitar, uh, we could do whatever. We could worship in the back room and have our meeting back there. And in addition to the $25, we also would get coffee, tea, and snacks from Scotty. Right? That was part of the deal. So we did all that, and uh, we had, uh, it was a good kinship. We had a bunch of soccer, female soccer players that came out from the university. We had uh, whoever. Uh, that was uh, Aaron's first experience with us was going to Scotty's Coffee Cave and being a part of that kinship. And there were a number of people that came into our fellowship through Scotty's Coffee Cave. And and so we met there, I don't know, maybe two years, maybe more. I can't remember. We met there all the way up until Scotty's Coffee Cave went out of business and left. And to me, it was an awesome location, strategic, and people were coming to know Jesus there. Right? You follow what I'm saying? And so I'm thinking, this is a great story. So I'm sharing it just as an example of some of the things that we're doing on campus, some of the things that God's using as we're doing ministry. That was just part of what I was doing when I was out sharing in churches. Well, it turns out somebody, when I was sharing locally here at one of the churches, knew about Scotty's Coffee Cave. And here's the problem with Scotty's Coffee Cave. You ready? Scotty's Coffee Cave was gay. All right? It was a place where gay people hung out. All right. All right. So all the colors of the rainbow were flying at Scotty's, including us. All right? We were there. Now, I consider that to be awesome. Like, I was really excited about that, and that was part of the draw of actually going there and talking to those guys about using their room and renting the room out. It was part of the draw of actually being there. And they were super cool about it, and we were able to work it out, and it worked out great for a couple of years. You'd think people would be excited about that. Well, as soon as people found out that it was a gay hangout, I was immediately, immediately in trouble. I immediately was called upon to justify my actions. I was immediately called upon to explain why, why I would be frequenting a gay coffee house. Now, never mind people coming to know Jesus. Just ignore that. Never mind the fact that we're worshiping and praying in there every week. Forget that. Never mind that new people and people that would never step foot in one of those churches of the people that were, that were judging that, never mind that they were walking in and they were a part of it. Never mind we were busting at the seams some nights with more people than we had seats for. Never mind any of that. <coughs> what kind of example are you setting? By being there. What if people are confused about where you stand on that? What kind of witness is that, brother? 
I want you to understand that people, Christians, are a little bit mixed up. Okay? They're a little bit mixed up. We are called right out here. That's what we're called to. Who's out there? All kinds of weird people. All kinds of interesting people. All kinds of people that probably never set foot into a regular church. And we've had people during our share time in here pray to Buddha, talk about aliens, flying saucers, whatever. Because it happens every now and then. And I'm perfectly okay with that. We got people standing up giving a testimony, dropping an F bomb. I'm perfectly okay with that. Perfectly. And so we need to really understand our purpose, understand our function. Understand who God's called us to be. Somebody look at John fifteen nineteen. I got a couple of verses for you. Because I'll tell you something. If somebody comes in here and they're talking about something good God did in their life and they drop an F bomb, I bet you there's some other issues in their life that need attention before we clean up their use of the F-bomb as an adjective or a verb or an adverb or a noun or whatever part of speech they're using it as. We can deal with that. We'll have an English lesson at some point, but maybe not today. Yeah, we have a tutor for that. We'll hook you up on that at some point. But not today. Not today. We just want to hear the good stuff God's doing in your life. Because that's more important right now. Okay, John fifteen nineteen. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it. But you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world so it keeps you. Yeah. Yeah. And so that describes that what Jesus has called us to. And and I and you're like, Well, doesn't that say the opposite? I'm, no, it doesn't. Because what that speaks to, it speaks to a people who have been brought into a place of hope, have been brought into a place of relationship, have been brought into a place where we know the living God, have been brought into a place where we've been set free, have been brought into a place where we've been released from the grip of the devil and the lies of the enemy, we've been released from fear of the enemy, And we've been brought into a serious place of purpose and hope and future that God has for us. And because of that, we're given the opportunity to help others find that too. And so, where are we going to find them? Out there. Where are we going to run into them? Out there. I mean, chances are they're not going to stumble in here. They might, but probably not. They're going to be brought in here. They're going to be encouraged in here. They're going to be invited in here. And we're going to go out there and we're going to go to where they are. We're going to do what we need to do. Because that hard they and us isn't really that hard. It's all basically just us. But by grace... We met Jesus. By grace, we were set free. <clears throat> By grace, we found life. We need to share that grace and that hope with people. Somebody look up Romans twelve two.
And what that verse says is that God wants to teach you to think differently. And you should expect that your thoughts are going to be, and your way of thinking is going to be different than the people you meet. That's okay. It's good. Let Him teach you to think differently. Let Him train you to think differently. Allow Him to. Because the one thing that God expected of His people when they took over the promised land was that they were going to be them. They were going to be His people, right? He didn't expect them to, and He warned them not to, don't become the Canaanites. Don't become the people that you just defeated. Don't become the people that you you just displaced from their land. Don't become them. Be you. And so God is in the process of teaching you to be the best you. And you need to be that person. Which means you may not think the same. You may not see things the same. You may not agree with certain things. You may not have the same values. You may not have the same things in your mind that that they do, that other people do, but that's okay. You need to live as who you are. Part of the reason that the the church wants to build schools and all these other places to hide in is because people aren't strong enough to just be themselves. To be God's people. To allow their, their thinking to change and their minds to change and to be different. And let that be obvious. And so the problem is is that they go out and they go wherever they're going to go and they just become a part of the scenery again, where they came from. And we're not called to that. I didn't go to Scotty's Coffee Cave to be gay. I went to Scotty's Coffee Cave to be who I am. Because I think differently and I see things differently than some of the people that are in there. That's okay. That's okay. And you know what was great about that place is they recognized that I didn't see things the same way that they did, and they were okay with that. We were actually okay being different. Can you imagine that? Could you imagine that people can exist together and actually be different? Imagine it. Yeah, it's possible. You're called to be you. That's who you're called to be. You're who God created you to be as you're learning to walk in His ways. As you're learning to allow Him to change the way you see things and the way you think about things. As you're being taught. Lastly, James 4.4. 4. Yeah, yeah, because you're just rejecting what? Who? Him. It's not because he hates you, it's because you just rejected him and you went the other way. You make yourself an enemy of God by not embracing what he has for your life and not learning how to live in that. You see, the reason he wants you to to grow in your ability to fight is so stuff like that doesn't happen. The reason he wants you to learn how it is to fight and how to face opposition is so that as he's changing your mind and as he's teaching you and as you're growing in him, you're not just running back to what everybody else is doing and where you came from. It's learning how to stand up and it's learning how to be different and it's learning how to live differently than the way you did before. And to be okay with that. You 
You see, all of these Israelites were different than the people in that land. They just were. They worshipped a different God. They worshipped differently in their forms of worship. They worshipped in a different place. They had different laws. They had different commands. They had different customs. They had a different language. They were different. And they were expected to stay different because it was their land. They were to be them. And they needed to learn how to do that. Because if all you're ever taught is to just roll over, you're never going to be able to stand and be the person that God has called you and created you to be. You're going to be somebody else. Of somebody else's making and somebody else's choosing. And that's all there is to it. You see, some of these uh, young people that were now in the land, they'd never experienced the fight. They were young. They were unacquainted. They didn't know how to use weapons. They were didn't know how to wield them. They didn't know what the weapons were. They didn't know. They were ignorant. And God says, well, I'm going to give you an opportunity to learn. And the way that he gives them an opportunity to learn is to bring some opposition their way. You need to stand. You need to fight. And that's his expectation. So those enemies were left to promote a spiritual discipline over people. Spiritual discipline. That sounds bad, doesn't it? Sounds tough. No, well, it's actually comforting. Discipline is a comforting thing. And and people, I'll say that to them, they just don't believe it. I, I used to work at a, a center for juvenile delinquents. That was one of my first jobs after college. I was I'd, I started off doing a bunch of jobs, but I ended up being the, uh, I didn't end up, but a major part of the time I spent there, I was the center disciplinarian. I was the mean guy, supposedly. They called me, had a nickname, Terminator X. <laughs> and and uh, so I did 300 kids, juvenile delinquents between the ages of 16 and 22 years old, all from New York City, Patterson, New Jersey, Newark, New Jersey, almost all downstate. There are a few kids from Buffalo, but mainly all downstate. And place was completely chaotic when I took over the position, and it just took a while. But over time, began to impose discipline on the place, and it was an arduous process. But one thing I found out, and there's always exceptions to what I'm about to say, but one thing I found out over time is that most of those kids, most of them, the vast, vast majority of them, loved the order and discipline over their lives. The vast majority. They found comfort in it. They found peace in it. And they were better able to learn, better able to live in it. And for some of them, it was the first time they had experienced that in their entire life lives there's something good about order and the Bible describes the beginning of creation before God spoke that scene there is chaos And as God began to speak, he brought order. Because that's what God does. His word brings order into our lives. And all that's in the world will try to destroy that. All that's in the world will try to challenge that. All that's in the world will try to bring that to an end somehow, some way. But he brings order. And it's good. 
Notice after every day, after he brought some order, what did he say at the end of the day? He saw that it was good. Because it is. It is. It is good. And so, what he's saying here in this kind of smaller version of that is that I'm leaving some people here to to really just teach you what it is to live in discipline. I'm leaving some people here, some enemies here. I want to teach you what it is to have discipline over your lives and what that means. Because no army is effective without discipline. There's never been an army on the face of the earth that ever won anything that didn't have any discipline. You have to have discipline to to be able to coordinate. You have to have discipline to be able to work together. You have to have discipline in order to effectively do what needs to be done. You can't just have one group going over here, one group going over there, and one group doing this in their own time and not caring what the other group is doing. You're not going to win anything that way. And so they had to learn what it was to, to not only discipline themselves, but to learn to work with other people in an orderly fashion. How to actually plan things and how to actually look at situations and allow for something to be done there together. Those are awesome lessons. So God left those enemies so that they would learn those lessons. That's how they were going to do it. And so he's teaching his people discipline, but he's also teaching them war and how to fight. You see, the generation he was speaking to here in Judges, they were incapable of doing it. They were incapable. That's not a problem with God, though, if you're incapable. In fact, as soon as you recognize that, you're in a great spot. That's like the best spot to be in. Because in the midst of your incapability is one who's ready to teach you and make you able. He wants to. It's part of his purpose over your life. But part of our battle as humans is to admit our weakness, to admit our inability, and allow God to teach us how to do stuff. I was thinking of the sisters here. You, you guys are taking some jujitsu, right? Now, when you first start jujitsu, and say you roll with somebody that knows what they're doing, what happens? They just throw you around, right? They're just practicing whatever they want to do on you. You're like a dummy, right? And I don't mean that in any you know any disrespectful way, but you know I've been in enough, I've done enough grappling, fighting. To know that if you don't know what you're doing, you're going to get beat, number one. But even worse than getting beat, you just get used. Yeah. Yeah. But through the course of being instructed and then applying what you're being instructed into those situations, you learn how to fight. That's how it works. And not only does it affect the way that you fight within that one specific moment or that one specific situation, but you begin to see other issues, other problems, and other areas of life differently too. And I'm just speaking, I'm not going to speak for you, but I speak for myself. That I'm, I'm looking at life differently because of that. I'm seeing life differently because of that. Anybody that's done any kind of fighting like that has been beaten. And that's a fact. And so you know how to lose. And you know how to get up and shake hands with the person. And then the next time you go again. You know what it looks like and you know what it feels like. And there's something really powerful even in that lesson in and of itself. Yeah, anybody that tells me, oh, I've never been put down, I've never been beaten, then you don't fight. Then you don't fight. Anybody that fights gets beaten every now and then. 
Right? I'm not talking about sport. I'm just saying, anybody that fights, you're going to get beaten. And you learn how to do it. One of the first things they taught us in judo was how to fall. It wasn't how to, it wasn't how to kick anything, it wasn't how to chop any, no judo chops, nothing. It wasn't how to throw anybody. It was just how to fall without hurting yourself. How to roll, how to fall. That's what they taught us. Hmm? Shrimp. Yeah. Shrimp. What's a shrimp? That's how you get away. I get away. <laughs> so that's how they teach you to start with. That's what you need to learn. So, again, practicalities. Practical understandings. Practical growth. Practical way to go about life. We're going to read one more verse. Second Corinthians 10.4. Good buddy. Second Corinthians 10.4. It's a convoy. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. All right. So, we're given a descriptor here. New Testament, church. Okay. We got the Old Testament understanding. It's a type of who we are. All of a sudden, we're moving into the spiritual. And that's what we need to move into in, in, in our understanding of this, is that our enemies are not physical. As a church, our enemies are spiritual. And so our weapons are spiritual. And so we learn how to use those weapons, and we learn how to wield them, and how to be effective with them. Those are the lessons that God wants to teach us. Why are there demons still in the world? Well, because God's teaching us how to fight. Why are there enemies of the church still in the world? Because God's teaching us how to fight. Why are there there are people or why are there situations where we face opposition? Well, God's teaching us how to fight. I say the word people because sometimes it appears people are in our way and you can get mad at that person. But I bet you there's a spirit behind that. And I bet you if you deal with the spirit behind it, the person is of no consequence. That's my experience. And I've seen it happen over and over again. And so to be careful in our lives that we take the opportunities and we use the situations to grow and to become and to continue that growth into who God's called us to be. So don't think of opposition as bad. It just is what it is. Don't think of situations that come up that seem like they're they're going against what we think or whatever. Don't think of that as, as being somehow just evil. It may be evil, but the ultimate good of that is that God teaches us how to fight. Because that's part of His purpose and part of His value for his people. You don't like it? Take it up with him. You don't value that? You need to change your values. To get in line with his, if you choose to. I want to be in line with his values. I want to be in line with what he cares about. I want to be in line with what he's doing. And part of that is this, what we're talking about tonight. So I hope you heard me. I hope you're able to hear a distinctive between what we saw in the old and what we understand in the new. Who they were and who God's calling us to be. Just allow that to speak to you tonight. just want to pray for a moment. Father, I thank you that uh, we're coming from wherever we're coming from. And some of us are really coming from a deficient place in these areas. Some of it really not through any real fault of our own, but just where we ended up and the situations we found ourselves in as children. 
We may have been taught things that just are not true. We may have been taught things that just are not valid or real. And so I pray that you'll help each of us to begin to weed through those things and dismiss things that are lies and dismiss things that are deceptions and dismiss things that are hindrances and dismiss things that have no real value anywhere. And I pray, God, that we'll cling to the things that do matter. <clears throat> the things that you care about and the things that you've revealed. Pray, God, we learn our lessons well. I ask that you teach your people in the midst of adversity what it is to be fighters and to live our lives, <coughs> to work, to occupy and to be effective for what you've called us to. <coughs> Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Yeah, I just want to encourage you to take a moment and to lay some things down that need to be laid down. And just let them go. Let them go. Thanks, Lord. God, we give you thanks and praise tonight. We release these things that don't matter. We cling to what does. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Let's just agree by saying, Amen. 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 UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. No, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm -hmm. know? He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community, like the comunidad. Yeah, so there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. You know, yeah.